Welcome to Talking Heads on USA Global TV, starring the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline. It's a prestigious place where world-class influencers and experts meet, and where you'll find the most trusted advisors and coaches for all things in life and business. Visit usaglobaltv.com to sign up for our newsletter, get the value you need, and be first in line to learn about events and giveaways and other valuable content. Connect with us. Email drjacqueline at usaglobaltv.com to talk about how you can become part of USA Global TV. That's USA Global TV, where the doctor is always in. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's episodes of Talking Heads, brought to you on USA Global TV and radio by the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline, whom I, every chance I get, I, I thank profusely for the opportunity to reach an audience on her growing platform, uh, by the way, with, that includes a community of wonderful people, uh, many of whom I got to work with on our reunion show, uh, which you can look for on YouTube, uh, four hours, and it was just last Sunday, and it was a great experience and a lot of fun, and there were a lot of tips and a lot of um, interesting perspectives on life and love and uh, work that all came together in uh, four cool hours. So if you get a chance, go look it up, and I, I think you'll enjoy watching it and learn a lot from it. But today's subject is um, a subject that I've kind of been wrestling with for the last, oh, I don't know, 45, 50 years, and that is the subject of leadership and what it really is and what it means. And um, the title of today's Talking Heads is The Mathematics of Free Will. And I, what I want to do really is talk about what I've learned about free will. And uh, I think I mentioned this in the tease for the program. The real problem with free will that we'll all agree is that everybody has it, not just you. It would be great if the only example of free will in the whole world was your own and that everybody just willfully and dutifully did whatever it is you wanted them to do. That would be terrific. But in fact, nothing ever works that way. And the more complex our society becomes and the more complex uh, our, the jobs we do become, the harder it is to just get people to do what you want. And what I've learned, and I'll show you the math behind that, what I've learned is that while you can't get people to do what you want, you can inspire them to do the right thing. And often the way they do the right thing is not at all the way you would do it, but better. And you want to leave yourself open to that. So uh, uh, Dr. Jacqueline is producing our program today. And uh, with, with her permission, I'd like to bring up my first slide. I'll try not to work too hard on slides. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about things we buy and what we want from them. Now, what you'll see here is a variety of products. It happens that I own an iPhone. I kind of like it a lot. Uh, you might own a teapot. You might book a cruise for yourself. You might own a laptop. All right. When you pay something, whether it's an experience or an object or a tool, whatever, whatever that thing is, you have in your head a set of expectations of that object, what it's going to provide you, how it's going to deliver for you. And that set of expectations, we're going to use the number one to represent. One, the probability one means you know something's going to happen. You don't know what it is. You have a set of expectations, but you know I bought this thing and I'm going to use it. And when I do, something is going to happen. Okay, we know that. So the probability, by the way, I have to apologize for the people out there who are math oriented. The math here is really mostly for expository purposes and uh, not necessarily a math lesson. But you'll see what I mean as we go through this. So whenever I buy into anything, whenever I make any kind of a commitment, whenever I, we'll see a little later on, hire somebody, or work with somebody or partner up with somebody, I, I have a set of expectations for that, whatever that might be. 
And we're going to use the number one to represent that. Okay, so let's keep going. How do we get number one? Where does number one come from? Well, it comes from, first of all, the probability that this thing that I bought, whether it's an iPhone or a teapot, will do what I expected to do. I'm using a really simple coefficient here, probability P uh, uh, subscript E. Uh, so the uh, what we're really talking about here is this is the probability that the thing that I bought will do what I paid for and will do what I bought it for. Okay, that's the probability. Ideally, we want that to be one. In other words, it would be great if my iPhone always worked exactly the way I expected it to, did only the things I expected it to, uh, never failed at doing any of those things. That would be terrific. Now, I can tell you from experience as an iPhone user, it is a wonderful device. You can do a million things with it. Often one of the things you just can't seem to be able to do with it is actually make a telephone call. So if I were going to ding my iPhone in any way, and probably what I'm doing really is dinging my carrier. If I were going to ding the experience of my iPhone in any way, it would be that every now and then I just can't make a call with it. Everything else I can do, but I, I just can't use it as a phone. So maybe they shouldn't call it an iPhone. I don't know. Anyway, the truth is I would love for the probability, the expected probability of my iPhone to be one, but it's usually something less than that, not quite one which raises the next point. So there are really two probabilities in an iPhone. The probability that it'll do what I want it to do and the probability that it'll disappoint me in some way. So most of the time, the probability of the iPhone is that it'll meet my expectations. I like it. I bought several of them. Uh, it costs a lot of money and I believe they're worth it. I have a lot of respect for the people that engineer it. I think the design is excellent. That's why I keep buying them. Never mind the fact that every now and then when I go to make a call, I just can't. And sometimes it's the phone. Sometimes it's a carrier. I don't know what the difference is. I shouldn't have to. You take these two factors and you add them together and you get one. And what you want from a product, obviously, from anything you buy, from a cruise that you book, from a movie that you go to see, you want a very, very high P of E and you want a very, very low P of D. Okay. Now, in our lives, we build systems all the time. And, uh, you know, before we move on to the next slide, which talks about people and how they work, which is quite different. In our lives, we manage things. We, we take steps to make sure that our lives work out the way we want. So in that regard, we concentrate an awful lot on lowering this probability. We work really hard on programs like Six Sigma and uh, quality control programs to make sure that in our lives, the things we do operate, function, and deliver on a reliable basis. So we manage things by work, by doing preventive maintenance, by updating the software, by applying patches. We manage things on a regular basis to make sure that the P of D stays low because that detracts from the overall experience of using the product. So. When you manage things, you manage things with a set of rules to make sure that the things don't break. The way you carry them, you buy a case to hold them, you put them in a, a pocket that's more um, that's less likely to spill them. Uh, the steps that you take to make sure that your car keeps running, that your uh, cell phone works, all those steps are what we use to manage P of D. Because in a, inanimate objects, really, the only alternative we have there really is to manage this percentage this probability. So P of E is what you bought. 
you want that to be as close to one as possible. The way you get that to be close to one is by doing everything you can to make sure that the probability it'll disappoint you is kept low, meaning you use it carefully, you store it carefully, you follow all the rules, you keep it clean, whatever it is you have to do to keep this number down, optimizes this number, and make sure that at the end of the day, you're a happy customer. Cool. That's inanimate objects. Inanimate objects don't have free will. And that's really kind of my point. An iPhone is never going to just all of a sudden pop up and do something you want it to just because it felt like it. An iPhone is always going to do only what it was bought. It can do a lot of things. Sometimes the things it, it does are amazing and surprisingly good, but it's not because it's thinking. And as smart as Siri might appear to be, she's really not all that smart. There are plenty of YouTube videos out there of people who own iPhones screaming at Siri, trying to get Siri to do what they want. Siri is just sort of like not getting the point. So, all right, now we're making a big jump. We're making a jump from inanimate objects and how we manage them to leadership as it relates to animate objects, creatures, people, for example. They also, when you hire them or engage them or work with them or build a relationship with them, they come with a probability set. When I make you, when I make a friendship with you, when I form a partnership with you, when I hire you as an employee, it's because I believe that there are a list of things that you can do that I'm willing to pay for that'll make my organization more effective or make my business more successful or make my life better. I believe you're going to deliver on the things that you promised that you would do for me. And that probability is, well, whether you, whether you do it or not, that probability is one. I know that hiring you or hooking up with you is going to do something for me. I just don't know what that is yet. Okay, let's break that math down a little bit again. Okay, so to get the one, just like with an inanimate object, we have two probabilities. The probability that you'll do what I hired you to do, meaning do what I expect of you. I hired you to do this job, and every day when I'm watching you work, I can see that you're doing that job. That's the probability that, I, that you're doing what I expect you to do. There's also this other probability, like with inanimate objects, that while I'm watching you do your work, it may be that from time to time I may catch you doing something I don't want you to do or that I didn't pay for you to do or that has nothing to do at all with what I do for a living and doesn't help me at all or maybe even has the potential of getting me in trouble. That's the probability that you'll disappoint. Now, let's overlook this second, this third probability here just for a second. Like inanimate objects people have a probability that they'll do what you expect. And they also have a probability that they'll let you down. They have that. And when we manage people, we tend to manage them the way we manage inanimate objects. We give them a lot of rules. We scream and yell at them. A lot of hollering. We give them performance reviews. We cut their salaries. We what we tend to do more than anything is punish behavior that falls into this category. That's called management. We manage people the way we manage things by taking steps to reduce this probability because when you lower this probability, this probability tends to go up. The fewer things you're doing that disappoint me, the more likely you are to do something that I expect you to do that makes me happy. Now, I'm hoping that's making this simple enough so that you can follow because there's another probability here that I want to explore that exists only in things that have free will. As far as I know, that's at the moment anyway, in any material sense, only people. 
the probability that you will amaze me, the probability that you will do something that I didn't expect you to do, but that needed to be done. And you did it, by the way, in such an amazing and incredible way that I could never have expected it in the first place. My expectations limited you. By exceeding my expectations, by amazing me, you've actually exceeded my limitations as a boss, as a manager. Remember, your expectations are what limit you. When I limit you with my expectations, what I'm really doing is suppressing this probability. And by doing, by treating you the way I treat inanimate objects, by giving you rules and by punishing you when you do things wrong or negatively reinforcing uh, behavior that I don't like, uh, I'm not only reducing the probability that you'll disappoint me, but I'm also reducing the probability that you'll amaze. This element only comes to the fore when people are given the freedom to behave in a way that they believe is doing the right thing. And that is really the core lesson of today's Talking Heads. The trick to getting people to do what you want them to do is to want them to do the right thing and to inspire them and educate them on what the right thing is by doing that yourself. Now, this is essentially, in my head anyway, the difference between uh, a manager and a leader. A leader is somebody who is managing people without them even knowing it. A leader is somebody who, by modeling the behavior they're looking for, increases the probability that those people that they're, that they're, that they're leading will amaze them in some way. It also, by the way, has the effect of decreasing the probability that they'll disappoint. People are, when they're appropriately aligned with a goal and a mission and inspired to be their best selves in pursuit of that mission, they do a lot less of the bad things that you don't want them to do, and they do a lot more of the amazing things that you do want them to do, as, and, as well as a fair number of the things you expected them to do in the very beginning. Now, why is this important? It's, it's important because when you reach a certain age, hopefully everybody who's watching has already reached that age, when you grow up, you suddenly realize that the people around you have free will just like you do. When, you're, when, when they're your children and they do things that amaze you and impress you, those are happy days as a parent. Uh, children just doing what you expect them to do or what they're told to do are nowhere near as impactful to a parent as children who do amazing things, who accomplish incredible things that they weren't expected or told to do. Uh, employees, in a sense, are like children. When they're given the freedom to do wonderful things and they're rewarded for doing wonderful things and encouraged for doing one, uh, to do wonderful things, then they tend to do more of them. And as a result of it, everybody, the, the one, the outcome probability, which what we're talking about here, that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the results we hope for become more and more and more impactful. Now, I'm going to recommend a book, uh, actually two books. Uh, author by the name of Robert K. Greenleaf wrote a book called The Servant as Leader, which is easy to find on Amazon. And it is the seminal work. It's the original work that launched the servant leadership uh, movement. And many of you have heard the phrase servant leadership and you understand what servant leadership is at some level. I was connected with that organization for a while and I visited them a few times and I made some presentations to them and I've learned a few things about servant leadership. 
that they don't always emphasize, which I think is kind of a mistake that they make. Servant leadership is about is not about servant. It's not just about serving people. Servant leadership is about serving a purpose and inviting people to come join you in that service. And when they do, of their own free will, servant leadership means that you'll serve them, give them what they need, help them with whatever they might require, provide them with the resources they need in order to provide that service. So servant leadership isn't what we thought servant leadership was. It's not about serving people. It's about serving a purpose or a cause. And um, you know, when you do that, and when you show people that you do that as a leader, when that, it's a phrase we often use in delivering ProFit, which is a team building experience. You'll see a, uh, I like the logo for you. We're easy to reach if you are interested in this. In a half day, our job is to work with the team, no matter how large or how many, or, or what the mission of that team is, to get them to connect with the purpose they serve and create an inventory of contributions that they personally each intend to make in order to pursue that purpose and to achieve those goals that are related to it. That's how we do team building. We do team building largely based on this mathematical model that you're looking at here. Our job in ProFit is to bring out the best in people. That's the probability that they'll amaze you, P of A, uh, which has the effect of reducing the probability they'll disappoint you and also the effect of increasing the probability that they'll do what you expect of them, that they'll do what you paid them for. It's all about adjusting those probabilities, but not by imposing anything on people. Instead, it's by inspiring something within people that makes them want to do it. It's an old Dale Carnegie quote. The only way really to get people to do what you want them to do is to make them want to do it. This has been known time immemorial. Uh, there, there are ways to coerce people, no doubt about that, but those ways are not sustainable. In the 21st century, many of the traditional historical ways of getting people to do what you want are no longer legal, or certainly they were never ethical. Uh, we're about making sure that people are committed to a purpose and making sure that they're working in pursuit of that purpose. Our phrase that we like to use is that people don't follow people. They follow what people follow. When you as a leader are in love with an outcome, when you as a leader are expressing to everybody, not just by what you say, but by everything you do and how you say what you say and what you're wearing, everything about you, when you're committed to that outcome, other people will buy into that outcome. And then later you can step aside and your people won't don't need to follow you. They'll be following the outcome. And your job then is to get behind them and make sure they have everything they need to do the amazing things that they're all capable of, of their own free will, that they know you'll recognize them for and reward them for and praise them for. This is the secret to good parenting. This is the secret to good stewardship. This is the secret to good management. Uh, you know, I, uh, I know that Dr. Jacqueline's tuned in and listening since she's producing the program. If there's anything I can credit Dr. Jacqueline for, it's in realizing that the people she's assembled in her community have wonderful gifts. By recognizing those gifts, she's pulled together a community of people who want to belong because they feel as though uh, their voice is respected, their gifts are appreciated, and because she's really careful about hitting them with rules, pushing them to a conclusion, She's always open and always asking, what do you think and what do you think we can do to make this better? 
That is, in my opinion, leadership, and it works everywhere. And it could be learned. And a place to start is with Robert K. Greenleaf's book, The Servant as Leader. And in that, you'll see references to another book by a German author called uh, named Hermann Hesse, who wrote in the th- 20s and 30s and won a Nobel Prize. He wrote a novella, 90-page book called Journey to the East. And I recommend that because it's it's an allegory. It's a tale of a group of people who set off on a journey as part of their membership in a guild, a league. That league conducts journeys. And they organize those journeys and provide everybody with an itinerary. And everybody packs up and gets ready to go. And when they go, and in fact, the author, it's autobiographical, when the author set off on this journey, the first person he met was somebody named Leo. Leo's job on the journey, working for the guild, was to provide service. Leo would make sure the bags were packed. Leo would make sure that the horses were loaded properly. Leo would make sure that the travel plans were set properly. Leo would make sure that everybody left when they were supposed to leave and that they had enough food and water to, uh, uh, to, to travel on this journey. And throughout the, no, uh, the novel, this novella, Leo, as an important part, as a servant of this team, as an important part of this group, of this voyage, uh, continues to serve it to the point where uh, around uh, three quarters of the way through the book, when Leo suddenly disappears, the entire journey falls apart. All these high-minded, uh, elite people, people who are very smart, very well-educated, could not pull it together without the lowly servant Leo. And when Leo left, the leadership in the team disappeared and none of them was able to fill that vacuum, even though they tried. Years later, the author goes looking for the leader of the guild to try to find out what went wrong. And this becomes a life's pursuit uh, for the author of, of the story, for the composer of the story. And when he finally does meet the leader of the guild that formed the group in the first place, that formed the, the, that organized the trip in the first place, he finds out it was always Leo. Leo was always the leader of the guild. Leo was never actually the servant. But by serving and loving the destination and the process of the journey, Leo was able to get everybody who participated in the journey to do what they needed to do, to make the contributions that they needed to make, to make the journey a successful one for everybody. Now, That's a long-winded, complicated way of saying that when you love an outcome, when you feel strongly about the difference you make, when you feel engaged in what you do to the point where you really believe that what you do has meaning, then everything that you say or do in pursuit of that goal, everything, every behavior that you express, every, everything in every way will communicate to everybody around you that this is something you love. And there is nothing more seductive than seeing somebody so committed to a goal and loving that goal so much that you feel compelled to contribute to that goal yourself. Now, I'll translate this to work that I did when I worked for a pretty big company. Some of you will know I used to work for NBC Universal as a project manager. Well, it kept me around, even though my price point was a little high, because I didn't manage projects the way everybody else did. I managed them using this formula. And because I use this formula, I would pull people together. Often, I mean, you never, as a project manager, especially in a large company, you don't have the luxury of picking your team. You get the team that is on the field and you have to work with the team you're given. None of the members of those team of, of, of that team report to you. 
None of them can be punished by you or rewarded by you in any kind of material way. You don't have that kind of authority. In fact, your authority doesn't work. The only authority you have as a project manager is the authority you gain by the difference, the intrinsic authority built into the difference that your project, when it's finished, will make to the world. That's where your authority comes from. When you use that authority wisely, everybody on your team will begin to participate in amazing, not just expected ways, but amazing ways. And this is a shift, the difference between a project manager and a project leader. A project leader knows that that third probability, the one out there, P sub A, that's the most important probability on any team because that's the probability that the project will actually get done. And I remember one particular case where we built out a data center and it was a big, complicated, very expensive process. And we were on time and on budget, except we miscalculated the number of racks we'd need to hold the equipment that we needed to hold. We were short by about three of them. And we were very close to a, a very important milestone or deadline on this project. And my best hope for getting a, those three racks, I could have bought them, but they would not be delivered for at least three weeks. And um, I remember expressing to everybody in the team, and we pulled everybody together, and I said, listen, you guys have performed beautifully. Everything you've done has been wonderful. Many of the things you've done were not on the plan, and because they weren't, they were amazing, and that's why we're on schedule. But we've run into this snag, and I honestly don't know what to do. We are three racks short. And I don't know where to go. And I know that if we order them, we can have them, but we're not going to have them till we're uh, supposed to be finished with the product project. And that's going to delay the project. Now, my team had about 65 people on it. There were five or six people on my team that I knew I can count on for just about anything. They were brilliant. But there were also 60 other people on my team, 55 or 60 other people on my team that I didn't interact with all that often. Uh, they were less visible than the five or six experts. Uh, but they were important to me, and that's why I had them all in the room. And I looked at all of them, and I said, think about this. Let me know what you suggest. And the next morning, when I walked into the data center at 6 o'clock in the morning, wondering what we were going to do to, to supply those three racks, the three racks were there. One of our guys, not one of my five superstars, somebody on the team saw how disappointed I was that we weren't going to be able to meet our goals because we didn't have these three racks. And he went out and got them. And I don't know where... And I'm sure there's somebody somewhere at NBC that's wondering where their three racks went. There was not stuff in them. But he went out and got three racks that were not being used by somebody. And on his own time in the middle of the night, he moved them from where they were, never told me where they came from, and assembled them in exactly those three locations we needed them in. So that the next morning, we had the three. That is the probability of amazement, the P sub A, in action. And I'm telling you that the more you respect the fact that people have free will, the more you respect and love the fact that they love what you love, the more you love that, the more love you put into the process of working with people, the more you'll get out of them every damn time. And that concludes my talking heads for today. And I hope you found it useful. And uh, if you've ever got any questions and want to talk to me, my phone number uh, for Profit is 212-480-3730. You can also reach me, reach me by email at al.cini at getbcat.com. And once again, Dr. Jacqueline, thank you for access to your amazing platform. I hope everybody here has uh, found some value in what I was talking about today. I know that it's a subject I enjoy talking about because all success lives 
all success working with people and people is all there is all success working with people lives in exactly what i've shared today so thanks everybody and uh looking forward to a future talking heads.